Welcome to Rich in Life, a podcast for anyone looking to be entertained while picking up a few tips on life, luxury, and resilience. And now your host, Rich Irani. Hey, so welcome to the show. Today, I have a model actor, real estate agent. He is the jack of all trades, and his name happens to be Jake Thomas. So he is the Jake of all trades. He was also in the Marine Corps. I try to really get under his skin because, you know, talking to this model, good looking, rough and tough guy, he's actually the opposite of everything you would think. But I do try to ruffle his feathers and try to bring up topics that I see him squirm about. So I want you to listen up for Jake Thomas. Tell me what you think. Send me DMs. Curious to know. Here's Jake Thomas. Hey, Jake. Hey, guys. How, how are you? I'm well, thanks. So if you had to describe yourself, what would you describe yourself as today? What would your business card say? What would make people want to listen to you today? What aspect of you is Jake Thomas? My business card, my personal mission statement and sentence of why me why would you work with me why would you buy from me sell with me whatever is that my mission is to find the outlet which permits me to give everything i have away meaning in service and essentially to others and finding their surety and comfort in whatever decision they make in that transaction that we're involved in Right. That doesn't mean to buy. It doesn't mean to sell. It doesn't mean to rent. But that's not even what I meant. What I really want to know is how do you describe yourself today? Are you, are you now just have given up acting and Broadway and are you only now in real estate? Is that the thing you're dedicated to? Yes. You're nodding your head. You're nodding your head. Yes. But I don't know if I believe that if you got a call tomorrow to be a lead in a play, on Broadway, and at the very same time, you had to show a $10 million apartment, where would you go? And pretend they're not listening at Compass, your bosses. <laughs> pretend nobody is listening. Which would you run to, the audition on Broadway for the lead, or would you be going to show that $10 million apartment? I had to pen a very heartfelt email yesterday to a playwright and friend to respectfully turn down a second opportunity to work with him on the continuance or what would have been a continuance of our last production together of Case Closed uh, in his pursuit of bringing it to a larger form, likely to exactly Broadway. And uh, that's a, that was a tough email to write because, of course, I'd want, I'd want to be there. But my career... So they would take, were they taking it to Broadway? Was that... Was that the, the goal? The, that was the goal. Yeah. So I, cause I know I, I read about that play that you did off Broadway, which was case closed. And it was about, uh, what was the story it was about the Dorian Corey story. Correct. What, what was about that story that made it so interesting? Well, my character especially was total, totally a fish out of water. He's a, you know, mid thirties, Polish descended classic New York city police detective in the nineties trying to solve the murder of the mummified corpse that was found in Dorian Corey's closet at the time of her death. Um, no one had come forth and him having to go back into this story of who she was, who her friends were interviewing or rather interrogating one of her, her best friends and being surrounded by a very eclectic and vibrant group of people of which he does not understand, did not understand, come from a different world and have a lot of uh, abrasiveness towards him. It was it was funky and fun. But who was Dorian Corey? That was new for so me. So she was a famous female impersonator. Uh, started in New York City in the '60s, actually, and then really built up tenure throughout the '70s. Um, passed away in the mid '90s or early '90s. Uh, complications to HIV, and when she died, true story, a mummified corpse was found in her closet, and that's how the case was opened and it was cold. So called case closed. Yeah. That was so crazy. I've never heard of it. When I saw you did that, um, that play, I kind of looked into it and I just wanted to know more and more about it. It was so interesting because, you know, back in that time, you know, it was illegal to be gay. Uh, I think it was, uh, was it not the nineties, but I think, uh, what was it? The eighties or was it, was it the nineties? I don't remember. People had a hide to go find places to socialize with other gay people. 
And I think that's kind of what the play was about as well, correct? We really touched on each one of those uh, decades. Each of the characters has a bit of a personal story kind right. of telling about his or her time, uh, whether they were arrested, assaulted, or dealt with any kind of discrimination or just you know hateful acts towards them throughout those yeah. periods that you mentioned. You know, it's funny. I never knew so much about that until I saw the um, Freddie Mercury documentary, not the movie. The documentary for Freddie Mercury was kind of crazy because I remember listening to his music and in his documentary, I didn't realize they had to go hide and go to the meatpacking district in, you know, New York City and be in meat trucks to, to have sex and to meet people. I mean, it's crazy you know, when you think about it, but anyway, so four years in the Marine Corps, did you drop out of high school or you uh, finished no, high school? Finished high school, um, just shortly thereafter though. And then had you, what was your first, um, what was your first stint into modeling? I heard it was at the gym. I heard your body's all right. You have to lose a couple of pounds, but you know, guys, if you check out his Instagram, what's your Instagram? Life like Jake. Life like Jake. If you look at it, his body is ripped. It's a little bit annoying, but you're, his body is ripped. So you started, you were discovered at the gym for modeling. Is that how that worked out? Tell me, tell well, me. I was uh, shoot, shooting a workout video with a friend of mine, and he suggested that I give fitness modeling a shot. And I said, well, I don't know any one. I don't have an agent. And he was like, well, I do. And I said, okay. And he's like, let me take your photo really fast on the phone, and I'll send it to him. And I said, okay, whatever, you know. And uh, sure enough, agent responded right away and was like, hey, man, bring that guy in here as soon as you'll finish the workout. And we went over there not too long after for a, just like a pop up meeting. And my father was actually with me at the time. And we were like, you know, elbowing each other under the table. This is so funny and crazy. I was like, I know, Dad, we just stay cool. Because you're getting paid to do something you actually are doing anyway and enjoying to do. I mean, getting paid to work out is awesome. It is awesome. So how long did that last? Three years assigned a deal with them. And, Did you make uh, money? You made good money? Um, made money when I say made good money. money. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, listen, Brad's been modeling all over the world. Milan, it'll, he's laughing now. He's annoyed when I say it. He's been modeling. He was with Ford Agency. He was with modeled with some of the top models. But of course, when I met him, he had no money. He like spent it all everywhere he went. He lived in Milan. He lived in London. So of course, I got him in our first date. He didn't even reach in to pay for dinner. He didn't even pretend to take his wallet out to split it with me. I was literally taking my wallet. I'm, I, I got it. And he was just looking at me, bold face, didn't make a move. I remember going back to my shrink saying that's balls. But um, in any case, we worked that out. He knows now, he knows better. But um, so it worked out. And then from the modeling, is that how the acting started? Because you don't seem like a Broadway type. You seem too rugged and burly to be the Broadway type. <laughs> that's how it started. Yeah, I uh, was pitched a table read by my agent at the time. Um, hey, do you think you could do this and not embarrass me? Uh, I can't, <laughs> I can't send any of these other guys. Uh, you're probably the least, they're the highest likely to succeed. Sure. Why not? I, I didn't even know what a table reading was at the time. Um, in my head, I kind of deduced, okay, table reading. I assume it's a script at a table and you read. And so I was like, yeah, of course, send me. And uh, showed up and yeah, there's a script, a table and people and we read at it. And you were able to do that. They handed you a script. And when it was your turn to read, you actually read it like an actor. Yeah. So that amazes me. I see it on TV. They show clips of, you know, people like in Friends or whatever at a table reading. And I think it looks easy, but I can't imagine really sitting down and being, being able to do it. But you did it. It was fun. I've been um, practicing all my life. I've always been a fan of film and, and dramatic art and have recounted and reenacted monologues and scenes for many people over and over, uh, probably to their annoyances. Um, but it was always something I was able to do. Math was never a strong suit for me, but I could watch movies once, plays, listen to songs one time and be able to recite the lyrics, the you know speeches, the, the lines, you know, cover to cover. Any favorite movies that you can think of while you were growing up? Growing up? <laughs> Hook. With uh, Robin Williams, yeah. That's wow. a top one for me. Oh, wow. Amazing. So now, did you get made fun of when you were in the Marines? You know, I'm sure you weren't singing show tunes because if Hook was your favorite movie, I don't know if you were doing show tunes in the Marines, but that would have been funny. 
that's a big it's a big fan film you'd be surprised of how many people guys especially marine guys love that movie i guess it it hit a lot of our childhoods uh, in the right in the right place i think what's also so interesting about um army people and marines and all these people that are serving our country is they from history they're always happy to have a good time i mean you know, you've seen comedians over the decades, whether it was Joan Rivers or what's his name? The the old guy, Bob. No, Bob. Bob no, not Bob Newhart. Bob Hope. Bob Hope. And all those people, they would go in Marilyn Monroe. Anybody that went in front of these Marines, they would cheer them on. I mean, they really seem to be a great group of people because I guess they're all in in they're all in the same situation for the same reason to serve their country. Do yeah, you have that kind of camaraderie with your mates there? Definitely. You know, the, the battles are, are really fought for what's right between each of you there together. You know, the, the macro thing is not really on your mind. It's really more about just the people right around you. And, and you really form just lifelong bonds with a lot of them. And that's where a lot of that pride and just love comes from. It's these, these people that you spend hours and hours and years, intimate years with that uh, it's pretty irreplicable. And they're there and you have to depend on them to get your back, to protect you. And it doesn't matter what they are. If they are black, white, gay, straight, short, tall, fat, skinny, none of it matters, right? Isn't that the best part about it? There's a certain camaraderie that you have that is, you know, it's like, it's, it's blinding. You can't see any of that. More heroes that I know don't look like heroes in the traditional sense. Right. They don't look like whoever, uh, you know, Matt Damon or all the other heroes supposedly, or Brad Pitt that plays these. I know that. And I find that it's such a thankless job these days, but um, in any case, so now let's get back to, you were on Broadway, you did your show, Case Closed. And what happened after that? Ooh, um, it was nice to finish. You know. <laughs> The, the run was great, but it's definitely, it definitely takes a toll. Um, working. How many days a week were you performing? We had five shows a week, um, four night shows, and then one Sunday matinee. Was there any music or dancing involved in that? Not for my character. Lucky you. Okay, lucky you. That was good. So then after the run was over, what happened there? You, how, how did you make the switch to real estate? I so I've actually been in real estate since 2017 and was working congruently with the show still this past year, full time. So you've been doing I both firms uh, within the last week. Wait, can you repeat what you just said? I've been working since 2017 in real estate and was working full time while the show was going on. So rehearsing, performing, and still working full-time in the city. And I've only since, it's a very exciting week for me, come to Compass. So that's my new, my newest venture. Yeah, I would imagine, I would imagine after, you know, I mean, that must be hard to be juggling, being on Broadway, learning your lines, having to go back and being in front of an audience and then suddenly, you know, now showing people real estate you know, running around. And as we both know, a lot of people are not always serious. A lot of people like to look as a pastime, but you have to go do your job and you must be good at it because Compass, um, I know the owner of Compass actually, who I met with a couple of weeks ago of New York. Are they, they're all different owners or is it the same owner for all of them? Do you know? So uh, I know Robert Redfin oversees everything. He was the founder, um, but there would be managing partners and directors location specific that's who i met maybe one of the managing i met charlie i don't want to say his last name so you know charlie no of don't know you know of charlie yeah so i met with charlie um he came to the townhouse here to discuss it but um so i know him and um yeah so then you decided after broadway that you were going to just dive into a real business that you can you know devote yourself to and make money well, i was already doing it yeah, but you were doing it part-time in a way because you had Broadway. You were doing five, six. No. You were doing it full-time. Full-time. Broadway was the, I'll, I'll couple this on there and, and do them both. I, I, I didn't sleep much those six weeks of showtime. And even in the rehearsal months before that, I 
I just did it all. I machined through it. Wow. Well, congratulations now being with Compass. They're such a great real estate agency. Um, I want to ask you what you think about the real estate now in New York City since COVID. Tell me how you think, because, you know, there are rumors that things are really coming back and they're, they're, they're bouncing back, but statistics show that it's maybe one or two things that are selling at a very high price. And, you know, that's kind of sending the message that real estate in general is doing really great in New York City when perhaps maybe it's just, you know, a couple of very high priced um, apartments or townhouses. Is that true? I say throw all speculation to the wind because there's no substance there, especially in New York. The data is what is going to support any of it. So in 20, let's say 2020, the, the year of hysteria, still that was the highest recording sales year ever in Manhattan. Was it? Was it? More homes were listed, more homes were sold because of huge voids, right? And that's still, that elastic response is still taking place into 2021. So normally, let's say a healthy market is 6,500-ish, close to 7,000 apartments in New York City. By the close of the third quarter in October, that number was up to almost 10,000 available. So that's a huge bubble in a very sizable market. People were very scared, of course, but you look at it as gross economics, it made pretty good sense. Low demand, high inventory, low prices. And then in quick response to that, the second there was just a little bit of demand, that inventory all got gobbled up very, very, very quickly. And so if 2020 was a promise to show there would be inventory, 2021 showed the quick response of, of belief and, and, and market elasticity. And now, clearly that New York is not just somewhat back, but people are investing and seeing it to be long again. Yeah, so I think what you said was um, a good point is that when prices started to drop and you were able to get some somewhat of a deal here, I think that's when people that were thinking about moving into Manhattan decided to bite the bullet. And I think that's where the action came. So normally there's always cyclical people moving here, new graduates, new hires, you know, adventurous dreamers that surplus that we had in 2020 of all the, like you said, rich first time purchasing power, people to finally be able to afford renting, buying, or otherwise to enter into the city. That was the unaccounted for populace, right? So we've always got a 98 to 102% demand, irrespective of budget, irrespective of neighborhood. But now you add on top of that, this whole new 15, 18%, 23 and some neighborhoods of people, it really strains that, that demand. However, it still shows a lot of promise because now, regardless of who left, not only did they come back, but even more people returned too. More people are coming. What is, what do you think, um, first of all, where do you live in New York? I live in Hell's Kitchen. Oh, okay. I love Hell's Kitchen. You know, it's funny. It never really developed the way I felt from 20 years ago, but I think maybe that's part of its charm now. You know, when I drive through Hell's Kitchen, I'm like, you know, it's weird. It's almost like Chelsea. It hasn't really evolved. I remember what it was 20 years ago and it's so similar. And then I realized Brad and I look at each other and we say, yeah, but maybe that's a good thing. You know, that's part of the charm that there aren't like thousands of high rises all, you know, down the block from each other. Because really between, you know, in, in my opinion, that's what killed the Upper East Side. You know, I've been living here, you know, most of my life. I'm from Brooklyn, but I had my shop on Third Avenue very early on. I dropped out of high school to go into business. And I just remember before the Bristol Plaza and all these high rises came up, New York was lovely. The sun used to shine into the into the stores and it was beautiful. And I found that once all these high rises went up, first of all, all the interesting people left you know, all the artists and, you know, aside from them dying off like Andy Warhol and Francesco Scavullo, but people like Brooke Shields, Cindy Crawford, who all lived in the neighborhood, they were regulars. Suddenly you, they couldn't even get down the street with people, you know, ogling at them. So they kind of disappeared. All these new people came in and business wasn't any better. It really wasn't any better with all these new people. So yeah, getting back to um, Hell's Kitchen in Chelsea, I think maybe it's a good thing that they, you know, kind of didn't evolve the way the Upper East Side evolved. It's definitely a preserved little neighborhood. And, yeah. you know, me being from New Orleans, like Ninth Avenue is, is, is fun and funky and vibrant and eclectic as it is in the food scene. It's, it's hard for me not to like. 
So what do you think would be the best uh, place to live to get the most for your money now in New York City? For people listening that maybe want to move to New York City, but they want as much space as they can get and not pay the mm-hmm. highest price. You know, it's the usual, same old story. Uh, the further, I mean, subway lines drive drive price like crazy. Proximity to subway lines are big. Uh, and you can look at that on any of the westerly or easterly neighborhoods of the city, right? Like people that would say, I'm interested in Gramercy. Well, if you're trying to go west of 2nd Avenue, you're going to see a tremendous difference as opposed to like more close to 1st Avenue right off the bat, right? And that's right. just from being more central and more conveniently located to subways. I offer this perspective a lot to renting clients as well, because whether it's a walk up above a third floor or something more west or more east, and let's say the walk up subway is more than 10 minutes, my, my mother's from Mexico. And if I were to say clientele, mostly American clientele, have a very hard line. If it's three floors, if it's above three floors of a walk up, most Americans, dare I would say, don't want to see it. If it is more than 12 minutes walk to a subway, most Americans, dare I say, don't want to see it. Now, if you don't fall into that category, you've got tremendous opportunity because price has to reflect right. that lack of desire. And it really, really does. So if you see really great deals in places, you know, condo co-op or, or otherwise, why, why is this so inexpensive? It doesn't have an elevator. It's on the fifth floor. or It's more than 12 minutes walk from the subway. Those three. Okay. That's great information to know. My my response to that would be the the fourth floor the fourth floor walk up would not be for me. Like I could run seven miles, but I don't want to walk. I don't want to walk. I don't want to climb when I'm done at the gym. I don't want to take a fucking step. So that's me. There's one, Rich. There's one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> exactly. But however, being far away from the subway is not an issue for me. I don't take the subway a lot and I do have an electric scooter. So even if I needed to take the subway, I would rather be far away from the subway because for me, you see less people. So I'm on 69th street between first and second Avenue. And I mean, I feel like I'm climbing over people to, to get down my block and it's all townhouses and I it's just like everywhere. So you do, you're smart. Um, okay, great. So you got um, it. So at a, at, there was a time in my life where I said, I'd never live East of third Avenue. I said, I'd never live East. I want to be between like third and fifth Avenue, you know, cause I was snooty. I thought it's like, I want to be right in the center of it. And it, it's chic. It's great. Meanwhile, now, you know, when Brad and I talk, I'm like, I want to be all the way on the river. I want to <laughs> be in Siberia because there's nobody there. I don't want to see people anymore. If I need to go anywhere, we take the scooter. You could have everything delivered to your house. So it's funny as you age and how your needs change, you know, your perspective changes, what you want changes. And it's funny what I wanted, you know, 10 years ago is so different than what I want now. Now I just want to be in a place where it feels like the suburb suburbs, but still be in Manhattan without seeing tons of people walking to work. And the Q train, especially in your neighborhood, changed a lot of that attraction, right? I, I, I remember touring up there in the summer of 2018 with uh, clients that were more interested in the East Village. And I was like, have you been to the Upper East Side lately? You know, it's second half between the 70s and 80s. It's got some real hip to it as far as in stores, services offered, restaurants, for sure. That'll make you far more like, is this really the Upper East Side to what most people would think was the traditional diner and, and, you know, kind of bagel stop spots. But I'm sure you can relate to the, the change of population density up there. Yeah. I mean, the Q train definitely helped, I think, for resale value. I think it helped New York City. I think it's great for everyone. I myself personally do not enjoy it. I would have been very happy now if they would close the Q train and just put a lock on it until I move, just until I move. Uh, (laughs) So now, are you more of a townhouse specialist? Are you more of an apartment specialist? Do you have any specialties or you're evenly qualified to sell everything or in the know or have the knowledge for everything? I'm evenly keeled right now. Um, I've got a sell side townhouse that I'll be listing, um, or not a townhouse, but it's multi-use. Um, will be considered a townhouse if it's pre, if it's pre uh, repurposed in East Williamsburg here coming up. But the other purchases I've worked on uh, recently would be a big loft in Tribeca, a little one bedroom in Sutton place you're talking about. Um, Notables, Marilyn Monroe, Freddie Mercury, Sigourney Weaver, all lived right there in the East 50s. Um, I'm I sure remember that. Involved. It was by Mr. Chow's. 
Yeah. Right? It was right uh, by Mr. Chow's. I remember I used to go to Mr. Chow's. Hated the food, yeah. but just wanted to be near all the people. I just wanted <laughs> to see was... Tina and Mr. Chow. I'm aging myself, but I, I was a kid. I used to just want to see them because they lived above. And they would be a intercom. They'd say, you know, uh, Barishnikov is here or Elizabeth Taylor is here. And they'd come down dressed to the nines and hated the food, but I'd spend any amount of money just to be there with my friends. And that's what I did. So, yeah, you're right. You're right. It was the good old days when I think. I go where the uh, the demand takes me, you know, and that's what it's been of recent. So, So what are people looking? I'm sorry to interrupt you. What are people looking at price per square foot? for let's say an apartment in New York city to, I mean, to, uh, do you do more rentals or sales? What's your forte? Last year I did a ton of rentals. Rentals. Okay. Second, so, half, of the second half of the year though, picked up all sales and now I'll be doing predominantly sales. So I'm purchased buy side sales. So. so what are we talking price per square foot and rentals today? Now <laughs> depends on the neighborhood. Depends on the neighborhood. Um, for example, sell side, three-story property I'll be listing East Williamsburg, not too long, but, you know, 10 comps that we ran from the last 11 months within two blocks radius, similar square footage, similar building styles that are varied from $237 a square foot down to $197 a square foot. You can pretty much add a decimal place to that in Manhattan. So as low as 237 in East Williamsburg and as much as, 2370 depending on where you look and the trimmings it's wow. a big range and like coming from anyone that's coming from out of town so it means anybody that doesn't live here it doesn't understand when you first step into a real estate conversation it's very normal to say what's the square footage here texas california outside of new york city and new orleans what's the square footage and you can normalize your understanding oh it's 220 square foot got it but when you tell people they're looking at, you know, 500 square foot apartment and it's priced at 1879 a square foot. <laughs> you're from Texas. You're from anywhere else in the country. That is like unfathomable. <laughs> right. You know, so, right. I've, so I've been with parents, especially with um, their children visiting and always, a, you know, a good parent should, well, it's square footage. You're trying to make sure they're getting a good sense of what their, their children are going to get. And then you say that to them and they're like, what? And we both sure. know the square footage is never accurate. We both know that. I don't know Layout. how. Layout. It's, it's, the, it's, it's they also, they, they, they include where the walls are. They include square footage that you can't see that's in the walls, that's hidden, that's shared with the next door neighbor. Yeah. I know because even in commercial, when we finally had to measure out the size of our shop, it was 150 square feet less than what they said it was. Meanwhile, we're paying per square foot. <laughs> what? In the commercial space. Wow. But I find that even when you go residential square footage, you really have to go in there and look and just think, is this big enough for me? Because when you go by square footage, I find it's never accurate. I well, never lay, believe layout, the square footage. Layout is really the, is really the point, especially in New York. And not to mention, you know, understanding the uses of that square feet. Yourself and I could be different apartments. We're both 700 square feet. Let's say I am a one bedroom and you're a studio. And let's say uh, Peely is um, a two bedroom at 700 square feet. Well, 200 Two bedroom, 700 square feet. She's probably a little more chopped up, could feel a lot more tight in there. Whereas me as the studio, depending on how I'm laid out, that's pretty favorable and nice. Same for a one bedroom. It could be done right, but it could be done terrible. Right. So it depends on the layout. It's everything. But you need to see it. It's kind of like asking when I used to ask my customers what size they wear. You know, they'd always start with a size seven and work our way up to a size 11, you know, or 10. Like nobody ever wants, nobody ever really wants to give their true shoe size in the beginning. Women, I'm not talking about men. Men are the opposite. They'll probably say a bigger size. And then, size yeah. yeah, they'll oversize it. But yeah, so it's kind of that kind of thing that's never really accurate. Is there a place in New York City you think now, if people wanted to buy, that would be a good investment? Because I still know during this whole COVID thing, people are still trying to get out of the city. I know a lot of people still want to come into the city, but I think people are looking for deals now. Is there a place you think in either, it doesn't even have to be in New York City. It could be, you know, anywhere, even in Brooklyn or anywhere you think there is a good place to buy as an investment where a person could live and maybe sell in a year or two and really make good money on, or is that too difficult to predict? No, I I think it's totally doable. I mean, look at, use what you have 
in around us to be able to make that call. So, uh, so I say to your point about high rises and developments, Manhattan is a map or a space with only so many parcels on it, right? So like if I were to look at edges of the map, that's probably a great place to start. Meaning if there's not something there, if you think there could be, somebody's already thought that there is or they're already in production of it, right? That's one thing. Right. A neighborhood can be changed, gentrified, or otherwise, you know, turned over overnight, right? Use use storefronts. I used to always make a joke, you know, when Whole Foods, if Whole Foods enters into a neighborhood, it's a statement. If, you know, Trader Joe's enters a neighborhood, it's a statement. Equinox. When the Q train was built, look at look at look at the look at Google Maps and look at where the, the gyms are along that Upper East Side. They're literally within a stone's throw of the Q train. It's brilliant. So you're talking about commercial space. They are very tactical with their spaces. So I would align my interest of where you can see other, I would say, companies that have long-term investment ideas uh, and piggyback off those. That's actually very smart. I never thought of that. You know, you go where the big uh, companies are that are investing millions of dollars in gyms like Equinox, which, by the way, where do you work out? Have to ask that. I work out at Equinox. Which one? Do you, uh, in Hell's Kitchen. Oh, wait, you go to the fun one. Do you go to the one on uh, Broadway? This morning, I was at Bryant Park. Okay. Uh, Soho yesterday. Soho, I would say. So, oh, so you get around. You take your city bike and you get around. So funny stories that I used to, um, before it became a huge uh, company, when it was individually owned, I used to go to the one on 21st Street because it was down the block from where I lived. And it was the one on Broadway and 20th. And it was always like a party at that gym. There were models of Mark, Marcus Schenkenberg. I don't know if you know him. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, he was a regular at that gym. We became gym friends. And, I, and I'll tell you the reason why, because he got a haircut and I looked at him one day. I used to see him all the time. And it was weird to not say hello. Even to this day, I, I say hi to people that I don't know because you go at the same time, you see them. And I finally go, you know, you just give them a nice nod and, you know, maybe one day they'll try to make small talk with you. And <laughs> so I told him he, I liked his haircut one day and we became friends ever since then. And he's, he's like a, a legend. What? He's a legend. He really is a legend. And um, he he would tell these funny stories. He would tell me about, you know, his three ways with uh, Angie Everhart. And I forgot the other one. And then he started, you know, dating Pamela Anderson. We had that discussion. But anyway, it was just fun. It was a party. Victor Alfaro, the models. But what happened was when the when the corporation took over Equinox, they changed the whole structure. I guess it's better in a way. They stopped giving all these models and celebrities free access. It was the free access that made it fun, but was annoying that we had to pay for it. But so I, you know, I was like kind of torn between now give them the free access. I, I, I want to work out with them around. It felt like a party. God, you dropped some great names there. It was fun. A lot of people that are young might not really know of it, but yeah, the, it was, it was a great time back then. So you go to the Equinox down there and that's where you work out. Do people recognize around, you? I bounce around. Do people recognize you from your modeling uh, times? I have had people approach me. Hey, are you that guy from blah, blah video? <laughs> right. Funny. Is that how you get your clients? I was going to say, I was going to ask, how do you get your clients in real estate? Because listen, I deal with real estate agents. It's really difficult. A lot of them are so nice. I'd love to work with all of them, but you can only really work with one. So, I mean, it's like all these real estate agents are kind of fighting for, you know, customers or for listings and it's not easy, but you have an edge on everybody. Um, honestly, What's your edge? Come on. I just try to be myself and that's a vague, probably boring answer, but. No, no, you also, you also, you're good looking. That helps. Listen, I'm sure you put your picture. Do you put the picture of you in underwear when you. When I send out listing. Uh, yeah. When you send out listings, you should put them in, you should put listings. I haven't, I haven't you yet. Should put, maybe, I should, maybe I should. You should absolutely, listen, trust me. I'm telling you what to do. Men, women, it doesn't matter. Even straight guys, they don't care. Everybody, if you have a good body and they like the way you look, they're going to hire you. That's the way to do it. But no, seriously, how do you get your clients in, in real estate? I'm sure partially it's because, you know, you're good looking and you also seem like you're a very nice person. I don't know. You could not be a nice person. You seem nice. I try to make people feel thought of and remembered and accounted for. You know, I think that's something that time, modernity, 
just our demands of life, whatever, we've forgotten about each other a lot, or we forget about each other a lot because we're permitted to. It's okay to be late. It's okay to be sorry, you know, like, cause you can respond you can say that, but as opposed to having someone just remember your name, little things and hear your thoughts from when you first spoke with them about what was important to you. I think that goes a long way. I don't know if that's it, but for me, that's just being who I am. And if that's turning, uh, you know, success, then great. You seem like an old fashioned guy as I am. I agree with you. I think these nameless and faceless uh, people that deserve the hellos and the thank yous and people that want to be heard and be remembered, whether it's, you know, their dog or what they're looking for in an apartment. And it's funny, I just had this conversation the other day with someone, you know, I'm actually looking for something else. And one of the problems I've had with real estate brokers in the past is they may hear what I'm saying, but they really don't listen. Like I'll give you an example of my very first apartment I bought on 20th street. I was looking and I was very specific. I wanted a pre-war condo loft. That's what I wanted. So of course, you know, I, at the time I was very unseasoned. I was young. So I was dealing with so many brokers, whoever would call me, I would be like, Oh, okay. You know, I'd answer the phone. They'd say, I have something here. I have something there. And I'd run like a monkey to go look at everything. And then I'd realize, Oh, but this is not a condo. This is a co-op. And they'd say, and then the broker would say, well, yes, it's a co-op, but it, and I would be so annoyed. I left work. I looked at it. I liked it. And then it was the whole pre-war. I'd, I'd look at it. I'd be like, no, but the ceilings are not as high. The windows, they're like, well, it's not a pre-war but they weren't listening. And that was one of my biggest issues, but I learned so much from that. And now, you know, when I bought my townhouse here, when I bought other properties, I always make sure I ask all the questions. Is it this? Is it this? And is it this? Because what I don't like is when a broker doesn't curate. If you're working with a broker, I want them to curate as if they're looking for themselves. The way I curate a collection a fashion for women to come into my store. Listen, I could throw everything against the wall. Yeah, you're saying thank you. For people that can't see him, he's looking up in the air and he's saying thank you because you agree with me, right? You know, you got to curate it for me. Don't I just- to F- don't... I to FIT, so you're like, you're speaking my language with curating. I want to find out about FIT too and soon enough, but just let me get this off my chest. I need my little rant because it drives me crazy that nobody wants to do the work. They get the email and they just like flick it off to you, forward it. Oh, just let him look at it. Let him decide. Maybe I'll like it. Don't do that. Curate it for me. Curate and, and listen to what I'm saying. There's, um, I am empathetic to your having undergone that and still do and other people that go through it regularly countless times a day but i'm grateful to the doers of that because without them i would have opportunity in business to be able to be me and to stand out that's such a great perspective you really (laughs) have this very nice way of looking at things you're kind of almost like you know midwestern in a way you have that midwestern kind of nice value which is the opposite of me but anyway (laughs) You know, listen, I grew up in New York City, so it's 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 a very different thing. Although I will say, um, getting back to brokers, I learned something recently about a broker that I was working with who I actually have a lot of respect for. She was showing uh, the townhouse to everybody, to everybody. And I said, well, why don't you just let them know that, you know, the price is firm and you know, find out who they are before they come. And she explained to me, because that's what a lazy broker does when they don't want to get off their ass and show a place. She goes, the minute somebody calls, I will show it to them. Everything else that needs to be spoken about, I can find out later on, but I don't find out how much money they have, what they do for a living before I show it to them, because brokers that do that tend to be the ones that just don't want to waste their own time. Is that a true statement? Some truth to it? Sure. Okay. I don't know if I believe you. You're just saying, sure. But okay. I mean, I appreciated that, but I told her we need to switch gears now. You know, it's not, you know, I don't mind. It's not about you being lazy. It's about people, you know, coming through the townhouse that are not either serious buyers or looking for something, you know, less money. I'll say this, Rich. There have been generations of people that have come before me, before us in this industry. And over those years have been able to treat people however they want and still do it today because the demand is so high that they can. You don't like me? Too bad. 
You don't like me? Too bad. You don't like me? Too bad. There is a line out the door around the corner and to five counties over that will happily work with me no matter how bad I treat them. And why should I waste my time with punctuality, politeness, you know, care, concern, <laughs> faithful and honest dealing when I can just make easy bucks on all these other people? Why would I do that? Rhetorical question. But that's what we're up against. That's what I'm up against. But I'm grateful yeah. for it again. So when I say sure to that, is she doing that or he doing that, this broker? I don't know. Does it happen though? It definitely happens. The people have an accepted offer. I was on an email earlier today. Uh, Hi, this is Jake. Blah, blah, blah. I have a client. We'd love to come by your listing for a viewing. Might you be able to accommodate us this weekend? How's 1230 PM? Thanks in advance. Response. No. Accepted offer. Sorry. Can't help. So it's, now that that's that that that's wrong. I wouldn't want my broker to do that. Am, am I right or am I wrong? Totally Just because right. I accept totally an offer, correct. I, I'm correct. Offer doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I mean, I have an accepted I'm, offer I'm now. I interpret that as I'm lazy. I don't feel like showing because I'm banking on this accepted offer being accepted and going into contract and then getting signed. You know, like even right. if there's a contract out, still, like I. I'm pounding the door for my buyer, right? Like that's my fiduciary is to do everything I can for if I'm representing you to get in there, right? Like, hey, and it's technically the seller's job to present everyone that would submit or, you know, but. I agree. I'm on the same page with you too. I don't like to just bank on, okay, it's an accepted offer. You keep shopping, you keep showing it and you never know. Somebody might come around and say, you know what? I want it so bad. I'm going to pay more, which is actually what I did. That's how I bought it. I put in an offer and then I found that there were contracts out and I had to raise it and I did. And that's how I wound up getting it. So yes, I agree with you on that. I think that's a great attitude. And to what you said earlier about Punctual, you know, being thankful, being punctual on appointments and just the attitude. I find that as the years go by, things seem to get more and more impersonal. Things seem to get more uh, rude. Things seem to be more acceptable and not just in the real estate business in every business. Because um, we, we, we don't have to be honest to our word because I can just say, Hey, I'm going to be late. I can let you, I can let you know I'm going to be late as opposed to, I used to have to be a man of my word before I had the means to tell you on four different devices that I'm wearing that I'm going to be late. Right. And then, then that just trickles down into, I think a just different sense of, uh, you know, timeliness to everyone and accountability, just personal accountability, because you can just, very off responsibility or, uh, or accountability as you see fit by, you know, thinking I'm being polite by letting Rich know I'm late or I'm not going to make it. Hey, at least I told him. At least I told him. At least I that's told one him. of my biggest pet peeves is lateness. I, I find it to be so rude. And if I find myself being late, the anxiety I have drives me crazy. I want to switch gears for one second because we're talking about real estate. We're talking about New York City. People want to move here. But we didn't really talk about the fact that New York City at the moment is kind of almost, it's being run down in my opinion. And this is just my opinion. I think that New York City is going through a very big slump at the moment. I've lived here my whole life and I don't live in a cushy doorman building. I live on the street in a townhouse with my children. I'm not comfortable with the way, you know, things are going on. I'm not comfortable with the amount of homeless people that are on the street, with the amount of, you know, criminals now that are being let out. It's very unsettling to me. And I'm not saying that you know, the real estate here is going to suffer because people that want to live here at a good price and a good interest rate, people will either invest or live here. But I will say, I don't think New York City, New York in general is being run properly. What's your opinion as a real estate agent? Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Listen, I'm sorry. I got to hold your feet to the fire. No, here. No, you can't no. just be good looking, an actor, a model, a real estate agent, a, a, a Marine Corps that went to FIT. You got to, I got to hold your feet to the fire. I, I come from a state in a city that is systemically corrupt and dysfunctional. So, so this is normal to you. Welcome. Welcome to what much of the rest of the world deals with all the time. Um, I will say this, you know, what's great about New York. 
man, the water, the tap water is so clean. <laughs> you know what's great about New York? The streets, for the most part, are well paved and taken care of. Like, I'm blown away by how fast road construction gets done here. I don't know if you are or have taken notice of that, but the amount of roads I've seen repaved, painted, or otherwise just kept, managed, maintained is amazing. I know people don't like to see garbage on the streets, but the waste management here is also extremely efficient. I come from a place where it is the exact opposite. Living Jake, with that every day. I'm sorry to interrupt you. You've been living here a while. You know that the garbage pickup these days and the streets and even the street paving, everything has gotten much worse in the sense that they don't pick up garbage the way they used to pick up garbage. The streets are much dirtier than they've been, you know, years ago. Um, what else? I mean, they're paving streets in the middle of rush hour, which never used to be. They used to do it at night, but I guess they don't want to pay overtime. So they want to, you know, because they don't want to pay overtime. So now they have it do, they have them paving streets and drilling holes in the middle of Madison Avenue, Lexington Avenue, Third Avenue, in the middle of the day of rush hour. People need to get around. It's terrible for businesses. It's tricky because I've got a very thwarted perspective of that as a cyclist. Um, so where Oh, know. you're a cyclist too now. No, uh, a city biker. Okay, I just want to make sure. A city okay, biker. He's a cyclist too, guys. A city biker. I mean, I put, let me know when you get your pilot's license. <laughs> yeah, I clocked like 2,000 miles in that thing last year. So, city bike, you should take care of me. Um, you heard that city bike? <laughs> no, I just, uh, I have a, a selfish perspective. You heard that, Eric people. Adams? <laughs> because I never have to uh, deal with any of that you know people that bash the subway to me and maybe it is because i'm from the i'm from outside the city you know and i still have this newcomers honeymoon phase that i've never lost that i always tell people it's a gift to live here so when people complain about the subway i look at it as well technically it runs at about 99 and a half percent efficiency so there might be problems you might have complaints but still and i've love statistics. I was great in statistics in undergrad. I was great in statistics in business school. I've done stats problems with the MTA and it's in like beyond the third deviation of efficiency into the fourth. So it's above 98.3% efficient and accurate. Most of the, like that amount of time. It's amazing. And people love New Yorkers, especially love to bash on it. I get it. Same thing with roads and pavements and stuff. Sure. I like, think what people are bashing on now with the uh, subway system, which I don't take, so I can't really, I walk everywhere or I scooter. So I don't take it. So I can't, you know, really tell, give you an honest, but what I do here is that people are just getting punched, sucker punched on the subway. People are getting scared on the subway, getting sucker punched, getting um, intimidated by people. So that's really what the issue is. I don't think it's, you know, how fast or running on time, because from what I understand, I don't hear any issues about that. The only issue I hear is the fact that crime, crime on the subway is just out of control and people are allowed to do it because they are getting out of jail and no police officer at this point wants to arrest anyone that they know is going to be out on the street anyway in an hour. It's just easier to just let them keep walking. That's a, that's a tough job. You know, I think it's one of the hardest jobs in, in, in America right now is to be uh, one of the boys or ladies in blue. I agree with you. And I'm asking you this because you were in the military. And because you were in the military, I'm assuming that you do believe in law and order. Am I correct in that? Of course. Do you find that it's really um, abhorrent? as to what they're doing to our police officers here and around the states, I feel around our country. Any, I feel for any person in an authority, uh, an authoritative figure, whether it's an emergency services worker, law enforcement, military, I, I feel for anyone in that capacity who would have to make a split decision to determine life, death, or use of deadly force. And, today's America. And that's when I spoke about thankless jobs, that's one of them that I always say it's a thankless job. I mean, if these guys were getting paid a half a million dollars a year, it would be a different story. They're getting paid nothing. And, you know, certainly I don't want to do this job. You know, maybe you're the type that would do it. I don't want to do it. I mean, I know Brad doesn't want to do it. Nobody I know wants to do that. I mean, God bless him. Not everyone in every um, aspect of life is perfect. You're going to find doctors that are not great. You're going to find police officers that are not great. But at the end of the day, there has to be some kind of respect, I think, for 
the authority for the police force and putting your life on the line every day, which is why when I see police officers on the street, I go out of my way to say, thank you for your service. Thank you for being here. I, I ride through Times Square almost every morning, heading downtown from Hell's Kitchen on the bike. And a lot of times it's most of the time it's before the sun comes up. And I always pass the, the NYPD office right there. And they usually have a, a roll call and forget it's Tuesday mornings or Tuesdays and Thursday mornings. But I literally stick a hand out and high five like 50 of them. You do. Like, like, a, like, a, like a hockey player scoring a goal, just going down the boards. You know, just do, 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 do. And, they, and they all hold up their hand for you, yeah. right? I love yeah, that. Jake, awesome. you're so cool. I love that you do that. And you know how much they appreciate it? I mean, I love it. I, I love it, you know? Yeah, I feel bad. It's it's really uh, a conundrum that we're going through now with this whole, you know, defunding the police around uh, our country. It's it's awful. But I think uh, well, the main part. What, say that you know, there's there's some voices that that feel very unheard all over the place, and um, some some significant in, injustices that have uh, been done and and not accounted for. So it's you know, how do you what do you do about an unstoppable force meeting an immovable object? That's, that's tough. Well, I think for the first thing, people have to be reasonable and look at the whole picture. You know, not every picture is really just the way the media presents it to be, but that's a whole nother, you know, conversation. I'm not going to get into that with you. You're laughing behind the screen because I know you don't want to get into it, but you know, listen, at the end of the day, nobody is perfect. Things happen. Things happen to good people. Things happen to not so good people. If the media spins something happening to a person that's not so good, and they spin it to be the worst thing in the world as if that person was a saint, you know, it's the media spinning it and it just puts New York city into a frenzy. And I'm just saying New York city, I'm not talking about Chicago, Baltimore or anywhere else. I'm talking about New York city, but this is what to me is what's disappointing because you moved here, uh, you know, how many years ago you said? 2015. 2015. Okay. So you moved here. You've been here since 2015. So that's like about seven years. I've been living here you know, my whole life, even when I was living in Brooklyn, I was taking the train and, you know, at 15, 16, 17, traveling the streets of, you know, the East Village, the West Village, uptown. And I can tell you, it's really, it's, it's not helping New York City. And it's not helping New York City real estate. And you know what, you might say to me, people are still buying, which I believe people are still buying. If you give people good deals, people that live in elsewhere may want to come here, but I don't know if we're getting the best people. And that's my concern. I don't know if the people that are coming are the very best of the best people that I would want to be near in New York City at the moment. At the moment. Well, unfortunately, the New York Department of State does not permit me to comment on neighborhood safety nor demographics of any persons. <laughs> I know, but you were in the Marines. Can't you tell us something? <laughs> <laughs> but you were a model. You definitely have more say because you're a model, don't you? Don't we hi don't we hold models up to higher standards? I mean, I'm totally if, kidding. If so, if, so, if so, you should pay me. You should pay me. The, you know, like I tell people, I've been famous for 10 years. Just pay me the money already. So wait, I, I want to get back to the modeling. So you did model with some of the big guys, didn't you? Some of the big models. I I don't know so many male models, but I only know the women. Um, models. Yeah, I walked with, uh, God, I'm going to forget his last name right now. It's going to be terrible. Alex. Um, oh, Lundquist. Yeah, I walked with Alex. Alex um, Lundquist. Years ago. He's okay. a really cool guy. He's still modeling. Yeah. Killing Alex it. is still modeling. He's, he's, uh, a, he's a Tom Brady-esque of, you know, he's in his, in ages, it looks like he's, that reverse aging again. Yeah. It's like you could be modeling again. You could still be modeling now, you know, because of what I'm finding, because, you know, Brad is well now signed with an agency again, and, you know, he's been doing some work and I'm finding that when you're at a certain age with a little bit of gray hair, you seem to be more in demand now, as opposed to the younger models. Yeah. I think there's real relatability there. You know, I think there's big age gaps, um, yeah. post baby boom generation. Yeah. And then between, uh, their children having kids a little later um, than they did themselves. That yeah. you know, you're seeing that that big twenty plus between people. Yeah. Do you know Bertil? I do Bertil Espergren. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's also been. He's a friend of ours. He's been in the modeling business for a really long time. And Adrian Chang, who's still actually really big. Every time I'm walking, I see a a poster of him either for Brooks Brothers or Bloomingdale's or something. It's just interesting because these guys are older. They're not young kids anymore and they're still, you know, 
they're still modeling jobs for them. I mean, I don't know why anybody would want to hire Brad. I mean, he's ugly to me, but that's just me. What do I know? What did you go to FIT for? International trade and marketing for fashion. But you never, you never did anything in that field, did you? I worked for Ralph Lauren um, right out of school as an analyst in their global human rights compliance. So not fun as far as in when you work for a fashion brand, you know, most people, same thing, like, same thing with going to FIT. Most people think FIT, they think fashion design, you know, maybe ASM or mass comm, something like that. But I went to the business school at FIT, study business at FIT, and then went further into business or the business side, the clerical side at Ralph, you know, Hmm. auditing, making sure our workers were being cared for, their ages, wages, hours, working conditions, occupational health and safety. Not, yeah, that doesn't sound very exciting. Not adventurous. No. If you're going to work for Ralph yeah. Lauren, you want definitely a more glamorous, fun job. I mean, I'm still a fan. Yes, I could tell. Love, love I like your Ralph. Well, he's great. He's brilliant. Love the uh, brand. Ralph Lauren was the creator of the coat dress. He started and, that whole coat dress thing. And the women's menswear, you know, women... The boyfriend look of 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 uh, boyfriend trousers, the white the white Oxford shirt, the white Oxford boyfriend shirt cuffed at the sleeve with the with the men's blazer. I mean, like his, yeah. especially like eighties, just killer stuff. Killer, yeah. all his high waisted hipster pants, and I mean, killer stuff. I still rock baggy pants now every now and again because of uh, because of that. So I want to ask you. Let's get to the personal aspect of Jake Thomas. Oh boy. Are you, yeah, well, I'm curious. Are you in a relationship? I'm not. Okay. Do you like boys or girls? <laughs> I just have to ask. <laughs> I like girls. Okay, good. Um, okay. And so in New York City, and I always say this, I've, I've had many guests on my show. In fact, we had Lisa Zaslow. Is that her name? Lori Zaslow, who is a matchmaker, who you may want to call. I've had many matchmakers, but she would be a good matchmaker for you. Um, and it's funny, I was telling Lori Zaslow that there are like 20 women for every one man. It just seems like there aren't enough men for, for the amount of women we have in New York City. So I have to ask, why are you still single? Hyper-focused, I would say, is the, the answer. It's probably, you know, some might say that's a lame answer that's not that's the truth man you know i'm pretty dialed in um to my career right and it's hard if i would say in honesty it'd be hard to fit somebody else in there because much like with the play and to come full circle you know you asked about what i turned down the broadway opportunity or the 10 million dollar townhouse right now like my priority is my work right now this career where i am moving to compass taking this this jump and discarding the comforts that I had where I was before and like really going for this my way. And security, you need security. At a certain age, you need security. It'd be hard to introduce another entity to this at the, at the current right. All right, but I'm gonna tell you what I tell my girlfriends. What I do is I hold up my wrist, I show them my watch and I go, the clock is ticking. <laughs> do you get that from family members ever? Clock is ticking? Um, no, my, uh, my brother's married, has a beautiful little girl. She's going to be three this year. Um, he and his wife are very happy in new Orleans and, uh, my mother encourages me to pursue my dreams. You know, um, maybe if I were a daughter, it would be a different story. Uh, I would probably feel pressure on my own and maybe get pressure as well from the family, but no, I'm always encouraged to go after what's, what's doing the most and keeping me happy. Okay, that's great. I'm looking at a picture of you on Instagram. It's this picture. Can you see it? I can see it. Yeah. Two okay. very people there. Yes. So I'm assuming that is the after. Yeah. But <laughs> okay. The so guys, you have to see this. how long apart were these photos taken? I think 15 years. Oh, 15 years apart. Okay. So yeah. for people that can't see this, if if you go to Jake's Instagram, which is what again? Repeat it again. Life like Jake. Life like Jake. There's a picture of him that he looks good. He looks great. He looks like, you know, the average, nice looking, all American man. And then in the picture next to him, he is ripped. I mean, literally ripped like a superhero. How do you get that? And do you, I mean, were you able to maintain this? I don't know. Take your shirt off. 
<laughs> take a shirt off for me. I can't anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm at work, unfortunately. I love him. He's like, I can't now. I was kidding. I didn't expect you to do that. But although I would have loved if you did. How do you yeah. think I hire my, my sales no, people? I no, don't, I don't do it for free anymore. Oh, good for you. Smart. Very smart. Um, so tell me, are you able to maintain that kind of ripped body? Um, I'm much closer to the second picture than I am the first picture, for sure. I love that. You know why? I do believe in muscle memory and body memory. I've been working out forever and I, you know, kind of really keep trim, but I find when I go off the rails and I don't work out a lot, I broke my wrist two years ago. I didn't work out for like months. I couldn't do anything. And I remember towards the end of it, I remember looking at Brad saying, I passed the mirror and I was like, not bad. I still see a couple of things sticking out of my stomach. I was shocked. So yeah, there is something to be said about once you um, achieve the goal of where you want your body to be, whether it's being ripped, whether it's being thin. And this is very important for people to know. And especially if you can validate what I'm saying, if you stay that way long enough, your body remembers and wants to keep going back to that. Is that correct? Am I correct? The, the body is the most amazing machine ever. Everything about it is, is just a working and living miracle. Um, and it loves to be cared for and it returns it reciprocates that feeling with how it makes you feel, how it makes us feel. And if you were to stop exercising, any of us stop exercising, but continually to maintain a healthy lifestyle, not much is going to be lost because you're gaining so much or compounding so much interest of just how you're continually keeping the machine healthy. Now, if you go off the rails and how you live and how you nourish that machine as well as not exercising. Well, that can be a quick recipe for disaster, of course. But just the same, the picture on the right of the two you just showed, that guy's miserable in that picture. That guy was very tired. He was very depleted of nutrients and nourishments and depressed and going through an eating disorder and really hyper cognizant and body shaming himself. Yeah. Yeah. So, so on, on the second like. picture, the one where yeah. you're ripped. So yeah. am I mean, am I mean to say I'm happy to hear that? I'd hate for you to look that great and be so happy. No, <laughs> I, no, no. because I mean, your body is so ripped. I look at it and I go, wow, how the fuck do you get that way? By the way, you know, I'm kidding. I'm half kidding about that. But it is interesting that to be that, to be that ripped, I guess, looks like it's a full-time job. It's got to be a full-time job, 24 hour a day. What am, what am I putting in my mouth? So you did, you went through a depression period during that kind of, you know. Yeah. Well, just cause you're so like, it is a full-time job because when you're in that industry, especially it's like you're on call 24 seven, you're like, Hey, can you be at this game? Not, Hey, can you, Hey, go to da 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 casting tomorrow. And like, you need to be on point. You know what I mean? That's the whole point. And it's, it, don't get me wrong, there's a real thrill in that because you're just dialed in all the time and confident in that. There's a tremendous confidence that comes with that, knowing I can get a call right now, have to show up somewhere in two seconds. And they're going to be like, damn, this guy's really, really into this. or He's really taking care of himself. It's very cool to feel that way. But it comes with a cause, you know, it comes with a, it's a very isolated road of, of dedication. Now there are people that certainly do it that are very, very, very happy and happy inside. I just wasn't at that current moment. I've since learned to re-engineer how I take care of myself and how I train and how I eat and how I live. And there's a much more symbiotic happiness now um, where and what's I'm maybe not right there at that limit. Let's call that a level 10, but I'm still like an 8.5 right now, touching nine, touching a so nine. That's what I was going to say. So you've managed to be able to live a freer life and still look like the second picture and still have that body that you, that you worked so hard for. What are you showing me, Brad? Oh. So, um, yeah, it definitely says a lot. I know for myself that I went through an obsessive phase as well with working out and, you know, I, of course, my body is not as, you know, ripped as it used to be, but I'm thinking to myself, I don't really care. It's very liberate, liberating to know that I can still work out and still maintain the kind of body that I, you know, that I want. I mean, I'm not getting paid to take my clothes off. 
you might be getting paid to take your clothes off. So you have to look that way. I'm not getting paid to take my clothes off. And I say that every time I'm trying to do my pull-ups with weights in between my knees and everything is hurting me, my elbows, my shoulders, my knees. And I'm saying, what the fuck am I doing? I'm not getting paid to take my clothes. Why am I doing this? And then that's when I go, okay, today's over. Tomorrow's another day. Yeah, the body's, again, it's an amazing machine. And you touched on a few of those points right there about pain and these feelings and that. It is the greatest communicator on this planet. Listening to your body. Well, the, the body, so the body is the communicator. It's, it's we, this free will, this, this demon of free will that we have that messes that up. Our body says, I'm hurting, rich, I'm tired, rich, I'm hungry, rich. Da, 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 da. But if rich doesn't rest it, rich doesn't sleep it, rich doesn't feed it, well, that's free will, you know, messing with the body's perfect messaging system. So like oftentimes, hey, Jake, we're overeating. Okay, well, we're going to push it. Hey, Jake, we're cold. Okay, well, we're not putting on a coat. You know, the messages are there always. We just can choose not to listen to them. And that's where we run into problems. Well, I have to say it really is a pleasure talking to you. And I always like to, you know, I promote on the podcast and in life, you know, putting your best foot forward in every way, the way you talk to people, the way you present yourself. And I have to say, you are a very good example of putting your best foot forward. I think your energy is great. And I think people would be lucky to have you as a real estate broker. I really do. I think that you are a listener and I think that you're respectful and I appreciate you coming on Rich in Life. I thank you, Jake Thomas, now at Compass Realty. Thanks so much for having me, Rich. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, buddy. And good luck to you. And I hope we get to cross paths soon. Likewise. Thank you. All right, buddy. Take care. You've been listening to Rich in Life with Rich Arani. If you liked what you've heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Or visit us at richinlife.com. That's R-I-T-C-H in life.com.